0: Welcome back cricket fans to the Ashes Central podcast for what has turned out to be the final daily recap of the 2021-22 Ashes. We're here on a day where Australia sealed an impressive series performance with a day three win in a rollercoaster day uh, which ended with the Aussies getting 10 England wickets for just 56 runs. I'm Tebway Jarvis, with me is Pearson Lynch and Ethan Prabs. Pearson. Prabs. We've uh, called the podcast early here to get a snap reaction from you. Uh, another 4-0 series loss. First off, how are you feeling? You know, we'll we'll do a lot more debriefing of, of the series later on. But first, you know, a snap reaction.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, my reaction is a lack of surprise. I predicted 3-0 at the start of the series because I thought – We'd have a Sydney-esque draw, which did come true, and we'd have a heavily rain-affected Brisbane test that would secure us the 3-0. I must admit, I didn't think it would be as comprehensive as this. I thought we would had a few... We string reasonable sessions together fairly often, but we very rarely exploit key moments and we let games drift too often. But I think it's as one would expect. We are looking at probably the worst England team since the 90s. Honestly, it's probably the worst Australian team since the 90s too, except for for that 10-11 side. So I would say it's more a case of just Australia have a significantly better team and they're in home conditions and they performed as you'd expect. Really, they should have won 5-0 if we're being honest, but 4-0 is, as I think most people would say, the quality divide probably deserved so I'm not too disheartened. I think we just weren't good enough.
0: Well, I think you're downplaying the Australians quality a little bit there, but we'll get to that later. Um, you say the 4-0 result might've been predictable, but you know, the nature of today definitely wasn't. Uh, you started off so well, the English did. None for 68, they were. Burns made 26, Crawley made 36. Um, I didn't think we would be doing uh, the kind of wrap up podcast today. Um, Prebs, uh I know I was worried. Were you worried?
2: I, I was very worried. I think after we were bowled out for 155 and then England with that opening partnership, which was actually the highest opening partnership of the series for either side, I believe. I think Winvis kicked into England territory uh, and I was fearing the same. I thought England have lifted in the you know, in their second innings a couple of times already this series and you know, potentially this is going to be another instance. But um, I did feel once that partnership was broken, then England were going to be a little bit vulnerable in the middle. Uh, and thankfully, that was the case today.
0: Indeed. And uh, as it has been a few times this series, it was Cam Green again, the partnership breaker, uh, getting the Burns wicket just before tea. Some good captaincy by Cummins to keep him on after T. Um, you know, the first couple of wickets were almost a bit innocuous, you know, getting chopped onto the stumps. But uh, how did you rate his performance today? And more importantly, the role he played?
2: Yeah, I thought Cam Green was tremendously impressive. Normally, he's been used uh, I guess later on in the in- innings, and you don't often see him taking the opener's wickets. It's more more so that you know Stark and Cummins get early breakthroughs with a partnership on, and then you bring Cam Green on. Um, but yeah, this is tremendous. It's his first three-wicket haul and tests. Um, he was able to, you know, get early inroads up the top and really start the collapse. Um, it's been a feature of his bowling that he is the partnership breaker. Um, and it was great to see him with early wickets up top. It's notable that Six English butts more bold in this innings, which you don't see too often. Um, and he was, yeah, really impressive in in movement um, from Cam Green, which got those inside edges. Um, and he was also able to move it the other way from over the wicket against the right hander. So I was really impressed with him.
0: And just before we move on, uh, credit where credit's due, Ethan, uh, you had a bit of vindication for your continued support of Cam Green, even through the dark days um, that were earlier on in this series or even last series. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's come to fruition and we're, we're beginning to see the, the great talent that he is.
2: I must say, I, I do love Cam Green. Um, I probably have too much faith in him. I like, yearn for his success every every time he bats. Um, I think it has been a little bit underwhelming with the bat. in all honesty. I think I was really Even hoping that... Little.
1: I think that's a after, bit nice on him. He's had two good innings all series. He's only been a touch underwhelming.
2: Back-to-back 70s. I was hoping he could build into some momentum, but he looked all at sea this innings as well. Um, but his bowling is, is top class, and it's been much improved from, from last summer, so that's a big tick. You'd say that's almost ready at uh, test level. Uh, his batting needs work. Um, but yeah, he's 22 years old, so it's, it's hard to criticise him now. He's, he's got a lot of improving to do, um, and hopefully he can shift into the genuine all-rounder role um, rather than what he is now and sort of a mediocre batsman and a quality bowler.
0: Yeah, well, there's definitely been signs um, of improvement and more learned people than us have a lot of uh, good things to say about him. So we'll we'll keep the faith. He's repaid it with the ball, certainly, this series. But uh, moving on to the rest of the, the England innings, the story was mainly about the batting. Pearson, what could have been, you know, you almost felt uh, yesterday and this morning or this afternoon getting Australia out for 155, probably you were, for you know, one of the few times this series you were bowling in the toughest conditions, you had the opportunity and you took it. Um, uh, and then it looked like you would you would take it again with the batting early on, but then really the story is yet another capitulation, um, despite the promising start. falling ten for fifty six, as I said before, uh, and just almost a sense of giving up after Green got those wickets uh, around the tea break.
1: Yeah, I think we saw arguably this test that England's bowlers performed at or above the standards Australia's did. But I think the key difference, and as has been the case all series, is we really can't bat. We can take wickets all we want. As Stuart Broad says, if you're only scoring 140, you won't win test matches. And I think we saw that particularly so today. We finally had an opening partnership of note worth 68, which I believe was actually the highest from either side all series which then led to a collapse of 10 for 60, 10 for 70 or so, which is quite a remarkable collapse, possibly worse than the collapse in Melbourne, which is quite an achievement. So it does show we've never been able to have multiple batsmen stand up in the same innings. To be honest, bar Bairstow, we've not really had any batsmen hit a telling score. And I think we saw today a lot of the ineptitudes of British batting. I thought Crawley looked good and then went out, which is pretty much the story of his test career. I think Pope looked bad and then went out, which is unlike normal Pope, but not a massive surprise. I think he can cut Billings some slack because it is his first test match. I thought we saw a route that lacked some degree of application, although he got just an unplayable delivery. I think we saw a very poor shot from Stokes, and I think... Burns it's harder to criticize but still was too late leaving it so I think it's another test possibly excluding Melbourne you could say this of all four of the other three defeats we've had we have lost games more than you have won them with bat in hand for England you've bowled well no doubt but I think in every innings we've played the vast majority of wickets have still been England throwing their wickets away So I do think the key problem here has been England's lack of batting performance. And I think it was scarily obvious that that would happen going into today is we do this every innings. I think we passed 200, what, three times all series. So we're clearly not in a position where we were ever to hit 270. But yeah, even the nature of the collapse today was pretty embarrassing for England. You thought Melbourne would be a low point, but this may well rival it.
0: And what do you think was the, the thinking with uh, Wokes, Wood and, and Robinson going out there and just, you know, trying to hit the cover off the ball was if you only had about 12 runs to win? <laughs> um, you know, what, 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 what were they thinking?
1: To be honest, I don't care about that side of things. Once the entire top seven got removed and we were seven down, needing 150 to win with Wokes, Wood, Robinson and Anderson to come, I don't think it mattered how they batted. I don't think Wokes, who hit more runs than most of our batsmen this test, can really be blamed for any failings. And I think Robinson, Broad, and Wood all did their job with the ball. Their job is not to come out and bat correctly and hit 150 runs. If they're coming in each test at 7 for 110, chasing 270-plus to win, then it doesn't matter how they bat. I think to put reference to them as a batting floor would be unfair i think that was probably the least significant part of the day's play but we bowled well and our bats our bowlers bowled well our bats batted badly there's no need to focus on the fact that our number nine played a silly shot on 11 off five
0: <laughs> i don't i don't think it's a great look though you know in the last what were the last few overs of the series them just going out there and giving it. You know, just giving it away for your English
1: fans. But what is the alternative? Is they bat for 10 overs and probably score a similar number and get dismissed by good deliveries? Is there's no top seven batsmen to accompany them. I don't think you can expect Wood to go out there and play some cultured test match innings of 50 off 100 when none of our top seven have scored runs. The bad luck was the fact that our top seven all failed. That our top score across an entire test match with 36, and that score was hit by Zach Crawley and Chris Wokes in each innings. That's the problem. It doesn't matter. You should pick your tail should be picked off how they bowl. Batting shouldn't matter there. The only thing that matters is we were 7 for 110 or so at one stage in that test match. If we're 7 for 310 and we have a player on 100 at the other end, yes, abuse the tail all you want for batting without the necessary civility. But I don't think in a situation like this it makes any difference how they batted. The game was gone. They wanted quick runs. We probably cut the deficit of the defeat more than we would have had we blocked our way through the final few overs. I mean, we saw it didn't really work out in the first innings in a more defensive manner, except for Wokes. But Wokes is probably a better quality batsman than the others.
0: What, what's your view on this one, Ethan? You know, even if it wouldn't have made a difference in the result, in the dying days of a tour, should you show a little bit of fight at least?
2: Yeah, I can see your point about, you know, if you're if they're going to get out, you might as well get out fighting and, you know, not just throw it away. But at the same time, I don't think anyone wanted this game to go till tomorrow. Uh, realistically, if, if the tail just battered like in the this, this session, we had to come for ten overs tomorrow. I think that's just a pain for everyone. So I don't mind them throwing the wickets away. It was entertaining 17. at least.
1: 17 <laughs> wickets fell for 250 runs today, and this is only a 30 minute podcast. I can't think of anything less significant to dwell um, on than the batting performance of our number 10, who had a slog when the game was gone. I oh, see your point. Of there's a reason. Why does it matter? In what world it, I, I think the England players want to go home, not might hang hang you might a who's mentally
2: weak and not
0: Cameron Green. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a better argument. Well, there's
1: you know, normal
0: cricket teams don't, you know, aren't prone to these sorts of collapses in the way that
1: England are. No, yeah, uh, it I might agree, not be fair to to attribute it. on the number ten when you've well, already no, lost. We it, don't have to. There.
0: We're not just talking about Ollie Robinson. You know, we're talking about that's Sam Billings playing a bit of a nothing shot oh, as well, well yeah. what the, before that's that. That's not Stokes.
1: the tail. Okay, no, well, I agree with you there. But they were weak dismissals. Seeing the tail have a swing is the question you ask, and that doesn't matter. Stokes, right? Well, yeah, Critique Stokes till the cow comes. The cow's coming. That was an awful shot. I mean, the field was so obviously set for him to play a silly sweep or a silly pull, and he fed into it. Billings, I cut him some slack. It's his first test, but a terrible shot. Pope was a weird decision to walk right across his crease. He looks as bad in attack as Cam Green does in defence at the minute. And I think we saw that with a few other batsmen. Most wickets in the top order were the England batsmen's fault. I think that's what you dwell on, is if England are to hit big first innings, second innings, third innings runs, the top seven need to not go out to balls that aren't anything special. Root is the only batsman in that side this innings that I would say got a ball that he couldn't have played. Every other wicket was batsman error. And I think if England to improve as a test side, they need to eliminate that batsman error. And ideally, that would eliminate the collapses. With it,
0: do you think? Do you think this is fair, Ethan uh, uh, Pearson? Consistently putting this only on the batsmen uh, rather than the bowlers. You know, obviously, a lot does have to to go to their collapses. But uh, you know, how did you rate our bowling today and across the series? We, we've got a pretty good bowling liner.
2: Yeah, I think Australia do bowl very well, but I can see the point where England. Get themselves out as well. It's it's a mixture of both that Australia put England under pressure and England can't handle that pressure. If you put a you know quality batting attack under that, then the series could be completely different. You know we saw um, India managed it to a better extent last summer because they have you know more mental toughness and grit. Um, so I think you can you can bowl well, but at the end of end of the day, it's it's the batsmen who will will play those conditions. Um a lot of that goes down to mental toughness. Um, and so yeah, I, I think England's weak batting is is the bigger factor than Australia's you know top class bowling.
0: And uh, the the other aspect of the innings today was the the pitch deciding to get in on the, the drama as well. Um, the one who was it it was to Root wasn't it? Bolland got him uh, one that just kept incredibly low. absolutely nothing Root could have done there. Uh, but just on the, the Hobart pitch in general, I personally thought it was one of the best pitches uh, that we've seen for a long time. Uh, you know, obviously more favoured towards the bowlers, but a real a real challenge and a perfect pink bowl pitch, I would say. Pearson, uh, I know you have similar views.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think this was the best test match wicket of the series. Possibly it was slightly too in favour of the bowlers at times, but it got the balance a lot better than Adelaide the other day night test did. I actually think you can go beyond Hobart. I would suggest this has probably been the best Ashes series in terms of pitches in Australia in quite a long time. They're definitely more interesting pitches than seventeen, eighteen, where teams could hit 400, 500, 600 regularly. So I do think they got the pitches right this time. I think Brisbane we saw had an excellent grass covering. So did Hobart. I think Melbourne had a nice bit of seam movement that a better batting lineup could hit 300 on. And I thought, yes, Adelaide and Sydney were to some degree flat, although Sydney did do stuff with the new ball. I thought it was a good balance across the five tests. And it was typified by Hobart's best, probably best test wicket in a while. Because, of course, Hobart have had issues the other way, where teams have been rolled for 80 odd, as happened last time there was a test in Hobart. So I think the pitches were spot on all summer. And I give plaudits to the groundsmen for that. They've been consistently excellent.
0: Nathan, you agree with that one?
2: Yeah, I thought it delivered us you know, three days of entertaining cricket. I guess if you were critiquing it, you'd say, if if every pitch was like this, then Nathan Lyon would never bowl. Um, and also the, the game's finished within three days, but it was three days of entertaining cricket. If you wanted to, you could score runs. Travis Head made a century. Um, and if you wanted to, there was something out for the swing bowlers, the seam bowlers, and the raw pace bowlers in the end. Uh, and that's a really good sign of a good wicket.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. You, you look at the, the you know, just the basic stats, Australia 303 in the first innings, England 188, then Australia 155, then 124. They're pretty low scores, but that kind of belies the fact that it was very hard to bat early on, but then there were runs later on. So, yeah, I, I thought a very good pitch. Um, and uh, moving on to the pitches in general, as Pearson spoke about this series, do you think the fact that the pitches were much more difficult to bat on and, you know, not conventional Australian wickets where Warner was able to go out and, you know, smash a, a quick fire 50 or 60 and get us off to great starts. Does it make a 4-0 victory in this series more memorable um, than perhaps the and 18 one or other ones uh, and, you know, more noteworthy almost?
2: Um. Well, I think 5-0 victories are always the most memorable, but but you're right, if you said at the start of the series that the ball is going to move more, it's going to seem, and it's England coming over, you, you would have said there's, there's a greater aspect of challenge in that, rather than you know hitting 600 on, on roads. Um, and so in that respect, I think it is a greater achievement than the 4-0 the of the, the previous Ashes tour in Australia. Um, I think England's batting is still too weak to, to make it a real accomplishment. Um, but if they could challenge us a little bit more, then it would yeah, it would have been even better. But I, I do think, yeah, because of the, the difficult nature of the pitches uh, to bat on, that it was a more memorable win.
0: And Pearson, uh, you might disagree here, but uh, you know I think our, our batting has shown up pretty strong this year, even though we haven't had too many centuries. But we've had lots of different people performing. Labashane and Warner early on. Head, uh, probably the most consistent throughout. Smith coming in with a few, even if he's a bit down on form and even green towards the end of the series on difficult pitches. Um, you know, we were consistently able, someone in in our top seven was able to, you know, get it done uh, each innings. I think a lot of credit has to go to Australia for that. Uh, would you agree that it's even if the runs, the total weight of runs hasn't been there, you know, our batting has actually shown some strength in
1: it. Honestly, not really. I think we can say the wickets were challenging and they were to some extent, but I think what we've had this series is probably the two best bowling lineups we've had for both sides in this country. Well, in Ashes series since probably 2005 against two of the weakest batting lineups we've had. I think you look at Australia's sides, excluding 10-11 of years past, you'd be looking at players like Carey, players like Green, players like Harris, who all would have come under very intense pressure for their spots with the numbers they scored with the bat. I think as a general rule in Australia, you'd expect your top five to all average 40 plus. And while you largely did achieve that, although Smith only averaged 30 and Warner would have been around that 40 mark, I would say overall both sides were pretty poor with the bat. I think fairly often the par score was pretty much what you hit. I don't think at any point in time did you massively exceed the par totals. I think what was most notable about your banning was actually the way your tail was able to be marshaled and score runs. Because in every single test, you were six down for less than 300 runs. And for a top seven such as yours, that's not a great effort. But you did consistently add 150 runs with the tail. And I think that's probably the thing that will be taken away from this. I think... Your side is clearly quite strong. I don't think it's as good as Australian sides past. I think other than 10-11 and maybe 2019, although they're pretty close, this is probably your worst top seven of this century. I think this is possibly England's worst top seven ever. Maybe the late 90s would beat it for poor quality. So I think we've just seen a very bowler-dominated series in which no batsman has really come out on top. Of course, everyone has said Labashain. He looks the new Smith. He only passed 30 once in his last six innings. Steve Smith never hit a 100 and only averaged 30. Joe Root, supposedly the best batsman in the world, only averaged 34. Clearly no batsman, Australia or England, really played well. And I think that's honestly the batsman's fault as much as it is the pitcher's fault. So I think it's been a pretty par performance for Australia. I think your bowling was exceptional. Your batting was enough to be significantly better than england's
0: yeah well i would agree with you that the batting was down but i don't think it, it really much of that has to go onto the batsmen because if you if you look at it you know going through just on on paper you've got Marnus labashane the number one in the world on the icc rankings joe root second smith third uh, head and warner in the top 10 also you know, these are the premier batsmen in the world. I think what you saw this series were, were tough pitches um, and bowling that actually worked out the batsmen um, quite well. You saw with Labashain towards the end of the series, a lot of the wickets, well, two of them uh, in particular, were those ones where they got him, you know, coming down the pitch too much. Well, yes, right. leg side. You, are,
1: you are right. I think it was, as you say, it was very good bowling that found batsmen out. But I think what we also saw this series, and I would take the ICC rankings with a grain of salt, this is Head's first good series in quite some time to be ranked in the top 10. But what I would say is we've had a lot of times in which batsmen have played with clear technical errors. You work your way through the England side. Burns clearly has a technical issue. Hamid plays far too far in front of him. Crawley plays with a bat face that goes from gully to mid on instead of straight. Stokes plays needless shots and is reckless. Same goes for Butler. Pope wafts the balls outside off stump. You look at the Australian side, Harris was a walking wicket for three tests because he can't play the moving ball. Kawaja, when he opens, stands front on and shoves his hands at it and nicks off. Warner's proven to be a flat track bully. Smith had a poor series because we bowled at him. Labashame was solid, but struggled against raw pace. Travis Head was excellent. The only player I think comes out with real plaudits. Green can't play good bowling. He eats into bad bowling brilliantly, but struggles to tough it out and carry before this innings averaged 15. What I think we've seen this series is good bowling, but also a group of batsmen that aren't world beaters, whether they're all in the top 10 because world cricket is in a rut with batting. I don't know, but I don't think batting quality was anything to write home about all series long.
0: Wow. Got some strong views on that one. Uh, Ethan, we'll give you the final word on this topic.
2: Oh, I I can see where Pearson's coming from. I think no the the thing is no batsman really consistently performed across all five tests. There was either like moments of brilliance, moments of mediocrity, or they were poor throughout. People like Warner, Lavishain, uh Root, who, who started strong in the first two to three tests, they tailed off at the end. And so I don't think you can really say it's a it's been a a good series for for any of the batsmen except for Travis Head. Um, who now may uh, overtake Virat Kohli in the ICC rankings, which would be <laughs> great to see. Um, <laughs> well, deserved yeah, one. very
0: well,
2: <laughs> there's. there's I, don't, I don't think you can really say it's, it's been a good series for any of the batsmen except for Travis Head because none of them have managed to consistently perform. You know, they had good parts, but they also had bad parts. And so I, I can definitely agree with uh, the fact that most of them had a mediocre series and and some others have, have been underwhelming.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. But despite that, Australia consistently made it into the high two hundreds. Um, for the year. a lot of credit does have to go for the bowlers to the bowlers, that's for sure. But um, you know, there's something just looking at the team on a whole, our our batting's working out not too bad. The same cannot be said for England. Now, just to finally cover off everything from today. Carey, um, 49 today, didn't quite get the 50 that he's been looking for. But did you see some signs there, Ethan? He,
2: he's compact. He, he's solid in defence. I don't really trust some of his stroke plays, had a history of bunting it to cover, and did have a degree of luck getting bowled off the, the no ball, and he had a very, very close LBW. But it was a valuable innings. Um, that 49 was was top score in our second innings, and it looked to to sort of keep us in the in the game for a second when England were mounting that that opening partnership, um, I think it's solid, but I, I I do get you know mediocrity from him. I, I think he he's going to be a player who's he's got a low first class average. He, he sort of deals in twenties and thirties, and um, and and I kind of want one innings where he sort of goes out and hits a, a really big score, um, but certainly in a low scoring pitch that 49 is really valuable, and that's a a big plus I guess in a Otherwise, underwhelming series.
0: Yeah, Pearson and I were talking about it a bit today. He looks very good in that defence when he's only defending. But then as soon as he tries to, you know, make some runs, he just loses all his shape completely. So uh, some concerns there. And with with Josh Inglis playing well, perhaps, uh, yeah, he could be snapping on his tail there. And then finally, uh, just looking back through the scorecard here, it would be remiss of us not to mention Mark Wood, 6 for 37. Boldwell again today his boldwell all series really the the lion-hearted performances that he's been doing uh pearson you know he, the one problem is what is he's 35 you know a little bit old but um you know he's a consistent bowler for it. is he 35 yeah you' that. Thing that. that I,
1: I thought more like 30 but i could be wrong oh okay we'll, anyway we will but... we'll clarify that in a minute i think ethan's <laughs> he's on 32. 32 32 okay, okay. midway the
0: <laughs> but, but Mark Wood, um, you know, a very, very useful bowler for you guys. Well,
1: I, th- I think actually we have the groundings of a very, very good bowling attack. Not dissimilar to you, actually. I think you look at without injury, you would have had Archer in and Stone in who have both been very effective 140, 145k an hour bowlers who would have partnered Mark Wood a lot better than a Chris Wokes might have. I think we clearly have the pollers for English conditions in Wokes, Robinson, Broad, Anderson. I admit Anderson is probably coming to the end of his career. I think he'll retire at the end of the English home summer. But at the same time, what we did see is we've seen a good bowling attack. But it was was incredibly English. To see England produce probably their best bowling performance of the series and their best bowling performance anywhere for a while, and it'd still be entirely overshadowed by a batting collapse, which you must say isn't much of a surprise. I think Wood got exactly what he deserved. Generally, he has one innings a series in which he does roll through the opposition. He's done it when he took five for 40 odd against South Africa and the West Indies. And I think we saw that here with his six for 37. I thought he'd been quite unlucky earlier on in the series, so I think it was fully deserved for him to get that six for. I think he's one of the few players from this England side that will come out of this tour with an enhanced reputation rather than a hampered reputation. So yeah, I'm quite happy with Mark Wood there.
2: One thing I did want to ask you, Pearson, about Mark Wood, um, I just had a look at the, the series stats. For England, he's bowled the most overs, taken the most wickets, and has the lowest bowling strike rate. But he's also got the worst bowling average, worse than Broad, uh, Anderson and Robinson. Has he been your best bowler this series?
1: I, it's a very difficult one to say. I think it's probably a three-horse race between him, Anderson and Robinson. I think Anderson's best spells have probably been the best spells of anyone. I think Robinson is probably worldwide our most threatening bowler in that he has a skill set that can get movement off any pitch. But, of course, we did see towards the end of games him bowling at 115k an hour, which probably rules him out of the reckoning there. So I think you would have to say in Australian conditions, I think Mark Wood was our best bowler. He was the only player that could get stuff out of non-responsive wickets when we did have it. And, of course, exploited conditions like today very well. Because I remember on day one in this test. The overriding comment from at least the Fox Sports commentators have been this wasn't a pitch for express pace bowling. Of course, Mark Wood then took nine the most any any bowler has taken in a match this series to prove that wrong. So I think Wood definitely comes out with a positive, but at least more of a positive than any of the others. So I think it's probably a given that he has to be player of well, he has to be bowler of the series and probably by extension player of the series for us.
0: Well, that just about wraps up our final end-of-day recap for the Ashes. Um, thank you, guys, uh, for coming on all of this, uh, all of uh, all through the Ashes and Vass, of course, also. We won't have to deal with uh, scheduling issues and, you know, tech issues. Pearson had some in this podcast today. But um, Ashes Central will be back with more. We might have a name change coming through uh, the Cricket Central, I think. But uh, we'll, we'll definitely not be dying. We're, we've got much uh, planned uh, in the future. But uh, thank you all for listening. It is Australia winning the fifth test by 146 runs and winning the Ashes 4-0. Goodbye.